Well, good morning, church family. It's good to see you guys. For, for anyone who wasn't here last week, you might want to go to the church website and listen to the message on biblical masculinity from last week, because that is the companion message to this week's. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Um, I got to tell you, I was, a, I was a little bit concerned. Well, I guess I want to tell you. I was a little bit concerned about this message, um, because um, I feel far less qualified to talk about femininity than masculinity, but, but while I was, I was expressing this concern to a friend of mine, and, and it hit me that, that the reason that I know that I can speak authoritatively about this is not that I'm sharing my own opinion or my own experience, but rather what the Bible says about womanhood. And this realization was very freeing. It was, it was, um, it probably should have been more obvious to me, but it, but it was emboldening because it's always been the Lord who provides the good things for his congregations, for his, his church. And so I believe that the Lord is going to provide something good for each of you today. Uh, he does that through his preachers. He does that through his worship leaders. He does that through his, his Sunday school teachers. And uh, it's, it's just a blessing to be a part of a church where uh, we really focus on the word of God. And so uh, I'm thankful for that. So um, I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. We're going to be in the book of Proverbs. You may be aware that the Bible typically approaches things from a masculine perspective, and it's usually men that are addressed specifically, or people in general. Uh, there aren't a lot of, of places in the Bible that seem to speak more specifically to women, other than a few places in the epistles, uh, and that's where both Paul and Peter um, speak to wives about how to relate to their husbands with submission and respect and care for their families and how to behave in uh, official worship settings. Of course, modern culture does not understand God's purpose in structuring these things. You know, sadly, many don't appreciate the beauty of, of his delegation of gender roles in the family and in the church and in society. And a lot of times these, these passages that I was just referring to are viewed as wrong-headed or, or antiquated in some way. But I would I would certainly champion these passages as being part of God's word to his people, just as, as the rest of, of Holy Scripture. And they do nothing to lessen the beauty nor the glory of biblical femininity. I want you to understand that. Women are every bit as necessary as men in the world and in the kingdom of God. And he created us to complement one another in our biblical uh, walks in our spiritual roles, in our, in our physical roles. And so um, while the kids are finding, there's some bingo pictures here that are hidden, um, not hidden that well, but um, while the kids are finding those, I want to explain a couple things about this message. Firstly, last week we jumped around a lot, okay? We went to a whole bunch of different places. And, and this one is going to be based mostly out of a very famous passage, which is Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31. And this is an interesting passage because so much ink is devoted to, to kind of fleshing out what a godly woman, and, and specifically a godly wife and mother, looks like. But um, based on conversations I've had with other people, some people, uh, especially some women, feel intimidated when facing such an idealistic picture as the Proverbs 31 woman. You know, some feel like she is... She is uh, an example that's impossible to live up to. But I don't think that, 
I don't think that's necessary to feel intimidated. I want Just think about how many other passages there are in the Bible that, that really we're supposed to live up to. I mean, we're, we're commanded. We're pushed to live up to, to these passages. You know, God said through Moses, be holy as I am holy. Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew 5, 48. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And there's, there's an expectation, listen, there's an expectation in Scripture that we should strive to be perfect, even while knowing that our salvation rests not on our works or deeds or ability, but on the perfection of Jesus Christ. But don't let the fact that we are saved by grace through faith keep you from striving to live according to God's word. Amen? Amen. All right. So, ladies, don't feel like the Proverbs 31 woman should, should, should make you feel guilty. If anything, ask the Holy Spirit for conviction and for help in the areas where you know you fall short. And, and just try for improvement. You know, I, I asked the wives last week not to nudge their husbands when there was something in the sermon um, that, that, the, that they're not doing or whatever. And I'm, I'm saying the same thing here to men, okay? If there's something here and you're like, oh, that really applies to my wife, don't, don't bump her. Don't look at her. Just don't do that, okay? It is not your place. Listen, you are not the Holy Spirit, okay? Amen. You are not the Holy Spirit. Give the Holy Spirit time to work. Remember, men, our job is to love our wives, laying down our lives for our wives, washing them with the word of God. And we're to exercise gentle servant leadership in the households. Okay, so the second thing I wanted to share, that was a long first thing, sorry, but the second thing I wanted to share is that I discovered while, while reading this, uh, reading commentaries and whatnot, that this, this is actually... This poem, verses 10 through 31, is an acrostic, okay? Every verse, there's 22 verses. Every verse begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And, and it seems to be structured with kind of a, like an introductory verse and then a summary verse. And there's a section in the middle that was, um, it was kind of hard to break up into, into segments that made sense to me. And so at first I tried moving verses around, thinking, well, I'm going to put the ones that go together, you know, together, because, hey, it's an acrostic, and you can pull stuff out. Of it. But, but it seemed like God wanted me to preach through it as written this time, and so, um, so that's what we're going to do. So um, we're going to handle it like this. We're going to do opening thought, three sections with main themes and many themes, and then a final thought. So let's open with prayer. Father God, I just thank you so much the opportunity to be able to preach your word to your people. I thank you for the incredible rain. I thank you for thunder during the worship time, Lord. Uh, I, I guess all of this is worship time, but during the music time. I just thank you, God, for, uh, for opening up the heavens and pouring out some of that blessing on us, Lord. We've been dry. Lord, you do the same thing spiritually to us, and I pray for a fresh infusion of your Holy Spirit that you will rain down on us. Fill us up, Father, that we might uh, do great things this week for your sake and in your name. And Father, not to draw uh, any glory for ourselves, but to point the finger to Jesus. Lord, I ask right now that each person here is, is good soiled. And may the word that's planted take root and bear fruit in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Proverbs 31, beginning with verse 10. 
An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good, not harm, all of the days of her life. By the way, friends, the, the Hebrew literally says, a virtuous woman. Okay? Although the context indicates that she's a wife and mother, at least in this particular case. But be advised, these same principles that the Proverbs 31 woman has applied to her, these same principles are actually valuable to everyone. They apply to everyone that's been called by God to singleness as well. This is not just for, for mothers, for wives. And, uh, and also, just in case you men think there's nothing here for you, um, I want to tell you that, that these same principles apply to all of us too. Okay, so these qualities are valuable for everyone. So I just don't check out. That's what I'm saying, okay? So first of all, a virtuous woman is precious. She's precious in the sense of having inestimable value to those around her. Now that's our opener. And from here we're going to dive into what makes her so valuable. Now bear in mind, each human being, each person that's made in God's image has great value, and we're not discounting that, okay? But a virtuous woman has tangible worth to those who know her and who are, who are blessed to be recipients of her grace, of her gifting, okay? So back to the passage. The first real point that we see is that a virtuous woman is a woman of integrity as opposed to infidelity. Now, I want to define these terms starting with a negative one, okay? Usually when we hear the word infidelity, we think of adultery. But that is, that is only one possible facet of the word, okay? A literal meaning of infidelity is unfaithfulness, which can take many different forms. You know, for instance, women who are always complaining about their husbands, especially in public, are not being faithful to him in their speech. I remember, I can say this because this was years and years ago at a church in another state, but one of the elders' wives in a church came up to me in front of other people and told me, I'm so sorry that you have to deal with my husband. I know he's difficult. I know, right? I see the mouth drop open. <laughs> no, it happened. And I said, uh, I like the person's name. And then walked away and was like, wow, I can't believe that happened. And at the time, I wasn't mature enough to know how to deal with it. Um, I would handle it very differently today. But that was not being faithful to him. Okay? It's another form of unfaithfulness to be, I want you all to hear this. It's another form of unfaithfulness to be manipulative. Or to be passive aggressive. There's another form of, of unfaithfulness. Okay? But a woman of integrity... See, the word integrity comes from, from being integral, from, from having all the parts together the way they're supposed to fit. It's consistency. Okay? It's being integral as a human being. It's not trying to compartmentalize various things, be this person here and that person. It's, it's about being real, about being honest, about being faithful. That's what integrity is. A woman of integrity is both a treasure and a pleasure to her husband because he is certain that she is trustworthy. Now, I really like the idea that her husband's 
heart trusts her. That's what the word says. From all the way down deep inside, he believes in her loyalty to him and to, and to their home. Now, of course, he knows that she's not sharing herself sexually with anyone else, but that's, that's not all. He also knows she's not going around his back, you know, behind his back, uh, damaging his reputation or belittling his friends or, or wasting their family resources. He doesn't have to be afraid that she's going to do something harmful because a virtuous woman is beneficial to her husband. Now, by the way, for you, for you single ladies and, and men, being beneficial to others is not a take-it-or-leave-it kind of a thing. We're, we're all called to use our gifting to edify other people. But it's especially important in the home. And I might add, in the Christian home, a biblical wife is living in the calling that God created her for as a helpmeet to another imperfect and struggling human being. You know, God has instructed wives to be submissive to their flawed husbands, even if the men aren't doing such a great job of loving and leading. So question, does anyone in here like memes? A few of you, some of us do, yeah. There's a meme called Unpopular Opinion Puffin. Have you seen it? This really gruff-looking, grumpy puffin just walking along, and, and people put unpopular opinions on that meme. Um, I'm going to be unpopular opinion puffin for just a moment here, okay? Just as countless marriages have been driven to extinction by men who failed to love their wives, I'll bet a similar number of marriages in the last century have been ended by wives who refused to submit to their husband and tried to dominate him instead. Now, that's, that's the opinion part, but here is the true part that is completely supported by Scripture. Okay? In Genesis 3, Eve was deceived by the serpent. Adam failed to protect her, not doing his job as a man, and joined her in the sin, and then they both tried to blame someone else for it. Do you remember? When God comes to them, says, well, what happened, Adam? What does Adam say? The woman that you gave me, right? Right? Let, let, let's blame God of all things. What does the woman say? The serpent. Everybody's trying to blame somebody else. God cursed the serpent and the ground, right? And then he told the man and woman what horrible things were going to befall them because of their rebellion, as a result. And there's, there's this interesting statement that God makes. It's right after that magnificent verse, the, the messianic one. You know what I'm talking about, where he talks about the seed of woman that's going to crush the serpent's head, you know? I mean, it's, it's this great passage, but right after that, very next verse, to the woman, he, that's God, said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. And then this is the key verse I wanted to focus in on. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. There's a lot of interesting stuff about this passage, but what I want to point out is that God's phrasing, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, literally reads, and I, and I want you to hear this, your desire shall be for your husband. It doesn't say contrary in the Hebrew. That's the ESV trying to make sense of this passage, okay? 
In the Hebrew, it says, your desire shall be for your husband. The reason that this is so important is there's only one other place in the entire Hebrew Old Testament where, where this shows up, this, this phraseology shows up, and that's in Genesis 4, the very next chapter, and that's where God tells Cain, sin is at your door, and its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. You must overcome it. And then shortly thereafter, because sin dominated him, Cain murdered his brother. See, the ASV tries to try clean up the difficulty in the original language, but there was no need. God actually does say to Eve, her desire will be for her husband, but it's not referring to a healthy desire. Just as when God says that sin desired Cain, he was talking about the desire to control, the desire to dominate. And throughout the New Testament, we are reminded that God has ordained male headship in the family and in the church. But because men are messed up, we frequently don't do a very good job of it. And since women are messed up too, they often try to fix the problems created by bad male headship. And that's to the shame of a man because if we did our job better, she'd be less tempted to try to, to take on what God called the man to do. Now listen, I know this is uncomfortable, but this is truth, okay? This is truth. And all of this is to say, God created men and women to complement each other, and that's with two E's. Not like, oh, you look nice today, but, but like to actually support one another in your roles as human beings, Women, if your Christian husband isn't doing a good job of leading the family, please don't try to take the lead yourself. Pray for him, gently confront him, and do everything in the power of the Holy Spirit to take up slack. Now, men, if you sense that your wife is taking up your slack, then you need to pull your own weight better. Get up, reclaim the servant leader role in your family. Be beneficial to one another. Okay, that was the hard stuff. Let's move on to the next part, all right? This is the longer section, but it all hangs together, so just bear with me. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night, and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and with her hands holds the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her households are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Friends, the example set in Scripture is that women be industrious. Industrious. This is a broad concept, meaning to be busily productive. And I, I would contrast this against being indolent, which basically means lazy, unmotivated, undisciplined. Okay? 
It, it's, if you'll take a look at your bulletin inserts or in your Bibles, let's go back through some of what the Proverbs 31 woman does. And we're going to see she is very hardworking. That is a very important trait in a Proverbs 31 woman. First, we see her looking for the raw materials to make stuff, right? And then she begins working with those materials willingly, by the way, not begrudgingly, okay? And in the next verse, she's going out to bring home food, and presumably from the market as opposed to just making loaves of bread at home, right? She gets up early so that everyone in her house, everyone in her, in her home has their needs met before they go to work, including her, her household servants even. She does the due diligence on a piece of land that she wants to purchase, to sow, and, and to reap in the future. And we're going to come back to that, by the way. Um, she's mindful of profit, and she always stays prepared. Remember, it says that her lamp doesn't go out, right? She's never completely relaxed during the work season, during the time that she's supposed to be doing stuff, okay? She works with her hands, making, making clothing and coverings for everyone in her house, and even having extra to use for other purposes, which, again, we're going to talk about shortly. Her husband... When it says he's, he's known in the city gates, I think the point is, is that it's because of the splendid clothing she makes for him. You know, otherwise, that'd be a weird spot to stick that line. I think it's saying, look how good of a wife he has that people notice how he's dressed. You know, before I came up here, I, was, I got so soaking wet earlier. Um, I looked at Shannon, and I was doing like this. Is my hair okay? And she's like, not anymore. <laughs> so she, she reaches over, and she fixes it for me. Um, you know, it's... It, it, it's, it's Making sure that your husband doesn't look like a total idiot, okay? That's, that's important for a wife. Um, she's, she's not worried about cold weather coming because everyone in her house is warm in the garments that she makes, right? Basically, this woman has an awesome work ethic. And last week, we learned that men need to be productive in order to stay out of trouble. Scripture says the same thing is true for women. You know, in 1 Timothy 5, uh, Paul, now he's referring to younger widows, but back then, most women, as, as today, but far more so even back then, most women were married, okay? So if you were a young widow, here's what he says. He says, they learned to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So he says, I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. Now, if this is the case for younger widows, how much more is this the case for, for married women? And especially for those who have young families, right? So a large part of being beneficial is being hardworking. But we also want to go back over some of the other verses in this section because they add flavor to the meat, okay? Notice Proverbs 31 woman dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Now, this is not saying she goes to the gym, okay? Obviously, because they didn't have that. But, but having strong arms is a natural consequence of working hard, right? Now, that said, most, most of our work today isn't physical work. And so most folks have to make an effort outside of work to maintain some kind of fitness. And we do this for the sake of our health. Uh, and so we can have the energy to keep up with our spouse and our kids. And, and both men and women should make an effort to maintain a healthy lifestyle and be active, Okay, walking regularly is probably the best way to live a long time and still have joints that work. And I mean this. Okay, some of you know this. If you exercise too hard, your joints get bad. If you never get up and move, then you end up very unhealthy. So, getting 
I'm, I'm sorry, this, this is kind of a, a public service announcement, but, but getting you know, so, some regular low-impact exercise increases your health, it increases your energy level, it helps you sleep better at night. So anyway, um, I want to get back to the text, but I just wanted to let everybody know that that's true. It's good for us to get some exercise, but not to overdo it. Anyway, a standout verse here, and this is for me, is a standout verse, is verse 20. And I want us to, to go back there. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. Now, there's a couple of cool things here. Uh, in my mind, I, I was kind of picturing this as like a typical Hebrew couplet, you know, which is like where the author of a, a psalm or a proverb usually will, will say basically the same thing twice. But one commentary pointed out there's actually two things going on in this sentence. So I want you to bear in this. This is cool. So listen, it's clear, first of all, that a virtuous woman is generous. Because biblical femininity means having a generous spirit, okay? And, and meeting the, the physical needs of a poor person, that is a good thing to do, right? By saying that she opens her hand to the poor, the author means she's not stingy. She doesn't withhold help from a person in a desperate situation. But then the second part of this, it goes even further than that, okay? Her generosity is not only for those within her immediate sphere of influence, Saying that she reaches out her hands to the needy probably indicates a more proactive approach to caring for people that aren't necessarily by her front gate. You know, it seems she is a, she is a compassionate woman who senses the struggles and the pain of other people and seeks out ways to help them. And again, she, she's meeting their needs in whatever way that she can with her excess resources. Now, in Ephesians 4, um, Paul actually indicates that, that doing work, at least part of doing work with our own hands, is in order to bless others. And so to help those in need. So this is something I think every Christian ought to keep in mind. Yes, we are to enjoy the fruits of our labors. Absolutely. Okay? But we also must be prepared to help others that aren't as blessed as we are with the wealth, with the resources. However... This is to be entirely voluntary because church or, or governmental coercion that basically stifles initiative and it, and it rewards that laziness that I was talking about earlier, okay? So anyway, that's another sermon, sorry. Uh, verses 16 and 24 especially reveal that a virtuous woman is enterprising. She's enterprising. She's looking for ways to bring increase to herself and to her family. I want you to look at the two examples we have here. First of all, it says, she considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. And secondly, it says, she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. So let's, let's look at these two examples here. First of all, she's weighing the cost-to-benefit ratio of getting a piece of land that's outside the, the home and then buying it and working on it herself, okay? Then the second one, she's making items and she's delivering them, which again, meaning she's traveling to some extent. She's going to merchants so that she can, she can get paid, right? Now, this is not only a good example of investment. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, but, but it also brings up an interesting point, okay? For any, anybody who believes that women should never under any circumstances work outside the home, the Proverbs 31 lady, our ideal picture of a virtuous woman, worked hard and not just at home. It's right here in the scripture. 
In fact, she's engaging in similar pursuits to men. Although her, her primary obligation is always going to be to the home. We're also going to address that soon. But anyway, she's out here. She's trying to supplement uh, whatever's happening, her husband's work, whatever their family's needs are, using her own creativity, her own elbow grease, right? And, and that's pretty cool. So, all right. Um, got just a few more verses here that reveal to us the character of biblical femininity, but they are deep. I want you to keep tracking with me. I see some of you, you need to stand up and dance around or something and drink some coffee. Wake up. I want you with me. Stick with me. We're going to pick up at verse 25. We're going to go through the end of the chapter. Okay. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works Praise her in the gates. You know, after reading this a bunch of times, I felt like a valid theme to this section is that a virtuous woman is consistently investing herself rather than being indulgent, whether in herself or in other people. And this is really important because one could argue that the entire Christian life is about investing, couldn't we? Couldn't we say that? The whole Christian life is about preparing for the future. If your heart is where the treasure is, right? And that's what it says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If your heart is where your treasure is, shouldn't we be accustomed as believers? Listen, I want to hear a yes or no from you guys on this. Shouldn't we, as believers, be accustomed to putting off instant gratification and preparing for what's to come. Yes. Okay. Jesus said yes. I'm just saying. Okay. But there are at least, there's at least five ways that a virtuous woman in this passage is, is investing. There's really six, but we already talked about strength. That's investment in one's own abilities. So let's check out these five ways, uh, and then we'll land the plane here. First, we see that biblical femininity means being dignified. To be dignified means she is investing in her reputation, okay? Even extreme haters won't have much to say about a, a person who, who maintains self-control and behaves respectably in any situation. Because you can say what you want, but if you can't rattle somebody, they're going to prove you wrong. And this is, this is in line with what Paul and the Apostle Peter both wrote in regard to how women are to be adorned. And it isn't just for her sake. It's to be passed on to others. You know, in Titus 2, we read that older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or, or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women. And so women of good reputation, women of virtue, they're not just investing in their own reputation, but in the reputation of the Lord. And in future generations of other women, when they commit to behaving with dignity. Next, we see that she laughs 
at the time to come. I think this is an attitude reflected in the fact that her words are wise. Now, why is that? Um, I ask you, other than a foolish person who absolutely should not laugh, who is able to laugh in the face of what the future holds? person who's prepared, right? A person who is prepared. This is one of the most obvious markers of a wise person. They're always investing in the future by not being overly indulgent in the present. This works in both the physical world and the spiritual world. I want, I want you to, to, to think about this, okay? It might be wise to put some of your money in savings rather than blowing on a lavish vacation, right? I hope a few of you are agreeing. Okay, good. All right. But likewise, it might be wise to, to hold off on saying whatever comes to mind in a discussion because maybe it could smooth over the relationship by keeping your mouth shut instead of severing it. Right? I, 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 some of you haven't heard this, so I'm going to share it one more time because I've, I've said this before. But I do believe whenever a person says, you know, well, I always say whatever comes into my mind, I think that is like being proud of incontinence. I mean, really. Like, if you can't control what comes out of your mouth, that's a problem, y'all. And if you're proud of it, that's a bigger problem, honestly. Don't be proud that you always say what comes to your mind. That's, that's what a fool does, according to Scripture. Okay? So hang on to your words. Pay attention. Once you, it's like pulling the trigger on a gun. Once that projectile leaves, you can't reach out and grab it and pull it back. It's going to harm whatever it's pointed at. Okay? Another example. In, in, in 2020, we learned it was good to have, like, some toilet paper stashed away, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah. You guys remember that? But, but also, we learned that it was good to continue meeting as a church, despite some of the apparent risks, Right? Because our souls needed that communion. We needed that connection to other believers. It just wasn't the same. When I would stand up here on Saturday afternoon, Dave would be here videotaping, and I'm preaching to an empty room, and I'm sitting here picturing who sits where while I'm trying to talk to folks. And it, it, it's, it's, it's just, it didn't work. And if you're home right now and, and, you're, and you're going, man, I would love to be a part of that communion, reach out. Reach out. We'd love to have you be a part of it too. Wisdom is one of the things that God provides when we ask for it. It says so in first, uh, excuse me, first, there's only one James. It says so in James 1. If anyone asks for wisdom, he says, the Lord will give it to him freely without finding fault. And that's an amazing promise. But it also is a muscle that we strengthen by using it. Discernment isn't magic. You want to grow in wisdom? Do what's wise. When you know what the right thing to do is, do that thing. When you know what the wrong thing to do is, don't do that thing. That's how we grow. That's how we strengthen that muscle. A virtuous woman or man will invest in the future by practicing wisdom and by speaking it. It says that that's what the virtuous woman does. She has the words of wisdom on her tongue, and she will also be kind. She'll be kind. I've mentioned this before, um, but it bears repeating. I think that kind is not the same thing as nice. 
Okay, people who are hateful and wicked can be nice under the right circumstances. That's just a politeness. It's an external thing. Okay? But kindness comes from the heart, and it is a form of investing in others. You know, for a virtuous woman to, to have the teaching of kindness on her tongue, it means, it means she's edifying others with her speech rather than tearing them down. And this, this is such an important trait for a wife and a mother to have. Just as it is for a father. It, scripture tells us that the power of life and death is in the tongue. We need to watch what we say. A virtuous woman understands that. You know, she, she helps her husband to have self-confidence. She helps her children to feel loved and, and safe. You know, the, the power of words, we, talk, we touched on this last week. I, I know this, but I want to remind you all of Ephesians 4.29. In fact, I, I don't have the slide, so if you would flip in your Bibles, just keep your thumb there in Proverbs 31. Go to Ephesians 4.29, okay? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Um, it's going to be a little different than the ESV because I have it memorized in the NIV, but it's similar. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. I think it says corrupting talk in the ESV. But only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs, in order that it what may benefit those who listen. That's what our speech is for. That's what godly speech is for. It's to benefit those who listen. This, this is the biblical ideal, but it's also a command for our speech. We invest in others by allowing our words to be kind. Okay? Sometimes that involves speaking the truth in love which can be difficult, but it should never be without kindness. Next, we see that a virtuous woman is well-prioritized. We touched on this earlier, but, but just meaning she is, she is actively investing in her home and her family first, okay? Now, it is, again, it is not inherently a sin for a woman to work outside the home. I know some people believe that. I, I think that the Scripture disproves that, Okay? But a virtuous woman is not going to put her work outside of the home above her priority list of her work within the home. It is her main job to bless her husband and prepare her children for, for adulthood, godly, godly adulthood, as mature people. And this is heavily applied, implied in verses uh, 28 and 29. It says, her children rise up and call her blessed right? It says her husband praises her. And incidentally, notice, notice her, her, the, the praise that she's receiving. That's geared toward her deeds. They reflect her virtuous character, right? So ladies, take note of this. And, and gentlemen, gentlemen, take note. This, this is not a sign of weakness to praise your wife. I think some guys have this stupid machismo attitude where like, oh, I shouldn't say anything nice to my wife. She might get used to it, you know, or something. Or, or maybe, you know, I shouldn't praise my wife in front of other people because they'll think, you know, that, that there's something wrong with me, that, you know, that she's got me wrapped around her little finger. No, stupid, excuse me. No, praise your wife. Pra I'm sorry. Can, can we cut that from the stream? I'm just kidding. No, praise your wife. It's out there. Okay, well, don't, don't think that makes you less of a man. I think it makes you more of a man. I really believe that. Amen. 
If you, if you, if you haven't heard last week's message, please go listen. Please? Okay, anyway. Um, I, I don't want to rabbit trail, but I want to reiterate this. A virtuous woman can have many valuable pursuits, but her priorities must be God, then family, and then everything else. Okay? That's how it's supposed to be. This is, I, I think this is a non-negotiable for a virtuous wife and mother. It flies in the face of the world's priorities. I know that, but it's entirely biblical. Um, in fact, in the same passage from Titus, Paul tells the older women, he says they're supposed to teach younger women to love their husbands and children. That's the first thing that they're supposed to teach. To be self-controlled. That's a huge thing. That was a huge thing for men. We must exhibit self-control. He says uh, to teach them to be pure, working at home. Notice he doesn't specify only, okay? Be kind and be submissive to their husbands. Why? So that the word of God may not be reviled. Just like earlier, he said, so that the enemy may not have occasion for slander. This is pretty cut and dried, folks. I mean, the, the whole point, the whole point of being godly in our lives isn't just because it works, although it does. And it isn't just because that way we can live with a clean conscience, although we can. It's pretty awesome, okay? But in order to bring glory to our Heavenly Father. That's the point of doing this. That's why we lead godly lives, to glorify God, because He tells us to. This brings us to our last sub-point. True biblical femininity means being God-fearing. God-fearing. Because in doing so, a virtuous woman is investing in eternity for herself and, and for, for anyone else who looks to her as an example. And there are many. Ladies, I hope you know that. People look up to you. Especially the little people in your home, if you have any. They look up to you. A virtuous woman has many who look up to her. For a godly woman on this side of the resurrection, being God-fearing means trusting in Jesus Christ as the Son of God who came to die on a cross as the payment for our sins. And he was buried and he rose from the dead on the third day just as he said he would. Okay? And if you believe on Jesus, then you receive his Holy Spirit and your life will begin to look more like his. And that's what happens with the virtuous woman. She's God-fearing. And that's the beginning of wisdom, right? The fear of the Lord. She's going to love God. She's going to love other people. She's going to serve her family. And the Lord will produce in her all of these fruit that we've been looking at today. Now, I want you to understand this because I believe this to be very, very true. No woman is more feminine, nor is any man more masculine than when he or she is walking in the will of the Lord who created them, and they're living by faith. Without faith, no amount of virtue matters. You know that, right? Because it's not works that we're saved by. It's, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And we are saved out of eternal hell and into eternal life in Him. And I want to close with this, this observation. 
the only place, the only place that physical looks are mentioned in this whole passage is in the statement that beauty is vain. And charm is also deceitful. Beauty fades. And as we read earlier, a beautiful woman with no discretion is like a gold ring in the snout of a pig. I like how he's smiling, though. Pretty cute. See, a virtuous woman is praiseworthy, not because of her physical attributes, but because of her godly character. Now, I am, I am very thankful that my wife is a beautiful lady and that she works hard to keep fit, but that's not the most important thing. The longer that I know my wife, the more I, attracted I am to her character. She's not looking at me. There you go. I love you. It's, you know, everything, guys, everything physical eventually fades. But the spirit shines more brightly as the person draws nearer to the Lord. And that's, that is my hope. That is God's desire for every person here, okay, that we might draw near to him. James also says, draw near to the Lord and he will what? Draw near to you. And you can do that this morning, friends. You can draw near to God this morning by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. And if you've not done that, then, but you've, you, you've, you, you've not, do it. Do it this morning. Put your faith in Jesus. And if you put your faith in Jesus, but you have not yet uh, been obedient to the command to be baptized by immersion, You've not professed your faith publicly. You can do that today. I invite you. I challenge you. Do that today. Don't let another moment go by in disobedience to Jesus. And if you've already done these things, lean into the Lord. We can all draw nearer than we are. All of us, every one of us can draw nearer than we are. None of us have arrived. Amen? All right, so so here's some ways on the, the screen in a second here that you can do this today. Just take a look at those. If any of that is you, I want to invite you this morning to come forward during the song.